This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to the Renegade Report. I'm Jonathan. And Roman is present. And you wouldn't believe it, listeners, we haven't been in studio for like three weeks. I mean, we recorded quite a bit beforehand. Yeah. And Jonathan, uh, yeah, was busy, wrote exams. I was not busy. But nevertheless, welcome back. Yeah, welcome back. And uh, while we've been away, it's no longer white monopoly capital. It's just monopoly capital now. I also noticed that. Mm. Ever since Bell Pottinger protected their tweets. Mm. It's, this narrative has changed completely. I think it's also when um, you have tons of capital flight out of the country, and you're kind of like, shit, we can't identify the capital. Whose is it? Is it black? Is it white? No, shit, everyone's just moving money out of the country. Yeah, uh, well, some, most of it to Dubai, but, you know, other places too. But what's, <laughs> what, is, what is interesting about capital, the guy from KPMG, I've no idea, is he the CEO? He resigned. Yeah, KPMG uh, after what, did he resign from KPMG? Wasn't he going to be a right. board member at Alexander Force? Right, okay. and he 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 withdrew his sort of right. position there after one email came out where he was like a bit flattering to the Guptas. Yeah, he actually he was just a little bit uh, smarmy. Right, he just said the story was written about me. Why is it a bit yeah un- uncharitable? Can yeah. we talk about it? So, so w- it, it makes you wonder what else there is. But literally, that's what it said, and he resigned now. A lot of other emails have come out about a whole lot of politicians. No one's resigned. And somehow the private sector is evil because, well, no, it isn't because this guy resigned <laughs> after one well, fucking email. Well, yes, the private sector tends to clean up its messes better than the public sector. Like very, very quickly. Like yeah. I was actually quite surprised that he resigned. I mean, doesn't he know we live in South Africa? This is Africa, man. We don't resign. We die in office. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Couldn't 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 agree with you more. And 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 one other thing, just quickly, wanted to get your your view on right. is um, this uh, oh god ruling that uh, no more no more sort of religion can be taught in public schools. I, I'm I think that's uh, I'm against that. I think I think public schools shouldn't exist. Okay, fair enough. But assuming they do, then are you are you for or against that ruling? Oh, the amount of fucks I give is very little. <laughs> uh, no, I don't care. I really don't care. I find I do find interesting that it, you know a lot of these situations often bring up hypocrisy. So uh, you'll find people going absolutely. Um, you know, the government must not interfere in the schools uh, and 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 teach religion, and and that's coming from people on the left, um, and they're right, yeah, indeed, um, because that they're actually uh, inadvertently tapping into a. Uh, conservative principle, which is that the government does not belong in your personal affairs. Right. Um, but, but then they have apply to that to healthcare, for or example, or, or being taught biology. Yeah. Right? There's like 72 genders. Yeah. Th- then the government must, must you step have in. to impose that, yeah. of course. Uh, yeah. People are fuck ups. What can I say? I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm tired of caring about people's stupid arguments. Well, talking about stupid arguments. Um, we're going to talk about a, a, an industry that presents a lot of them today. So do you want to introduce our guest for the week? So our guest this week is Tim Flack, who was a member of Sandu, who was a communications uh, director at IFP, and is now what is known as a metalsmith. So Tim, 
Welcome to the Renegade Report, and thank you for joining us. Hey, how's it, guys? Welcome. Uh, thanks for having me. Welcome to my home, obviously. W- welcome to our studio. Ah, cool. So, uh, do, really, yeah, we sound like fucking queer for the straight guy here. Anyway, uh, I, 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 that's latent homophobia happening right there. <laughs> Only latent, not over. Oh, not, <laughs> not if you have a gay best friend. <laughs> oh, well, Jonathan's not my friend. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Tim, Tim, the reason why we, we got you on here is because we, we've been really hard on the media, on this show particularly, uh, and often, of course, we make broad statements and we forget, well, we don't forget, but a lot of journalists are actually doing a very good jobs, but they just don't have the Twitter following or they don't have the uh, reach of these other journalists who do shitty jobs, but uh, take credit for everything. So let's go back to you in terms of, of your history, because you seem to know quite a few journalists. Uh, let's go back a bit to your history. So... You were first in in the union for the army. Yes, yeah. Basically, the the, the it was the biggest uh, military trade union for this for for the South African National Defence Force. So um, yeah, I, I ended up getting into a little bit of trouble with the military and needed the assistance, and uh, ended up causing a little bit of crap with the officer commanding and the national secretary. Then Paki Grev asked me to to come and work for him, and he said, "Well, I like the way you handle it. We'll sort. We'll solve two problems." I get a new organizer and you get to, you get to stay in Pretoria and then stay with my ex-wife there at that time. Uh, long divorce, bad, bad idea marrying that woman. But, uh, yeah, ended up working for the union and, uh, and started working very closely with journalists and, and in a specific kind of way, um, not necessarily just in a, in a terms of a communications person, um, dealing with like, Classified stuff, secret stuff, things like uh, the Gupta landings, for example, at Waterkloof Air Force Base. Um, that 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 discussion happened one night. I was sitting in a bar in Simonstown after about three or four beers, and um, yeah, I got a little bit of a whisper. Someone messaged me and asked me if I knew anything about the landing, and I said no. And he said, "Well, you better check it out because the Guptas are. I've got don't the authority that the Guptas are going to be landing." Um, so that sort of stuff is things that I dealt with. And then I hand, I, I specifically picked certain kinds of journalists that I could see could handle the stuff that I was dealing with. Um, guys like Barry Bateman, um, obviously I handed over the, the Gupta stuff to him and, and, and just mentioned it to him and brought it to his attention. And I mean, he ran with it and he ran with it beautifully because I got a phone call. I was still bubble us the next morning at like half past six in the morning and he phoned me and he said to me, you fucking rock star, guess who I'm standing next to right now. And that was, that, that was the beginning of all the shit that happened in South Africa where we're sitting with now. That was when the Guptas became famous. So, I mean, through, through that and becoming a reliable source, I worked with a lot of good quality journalists and dealing with uh, really technical but secretive sort of stuff. Um, so, yeah. Right. And these journalists are not the ones with 100,000 followers on Twitter and who work at the Man and Guardian, right? These are, no, no, these no. are journalists well, that, that no one really knows about. They so. take their job seriously. They're, they're there to be journalists. They're not there to be Twitter stars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and these were the guys that I worked with were, were, were people like, I don't know if you guys have heard of guy, a guy called Graham Hoskins. Um, he's at, uh, at the Sunday Times. Uh, Catherine Child is another one that I worked with. Uh, mm. Very, very good journalist. Um, Glennis Underhill, 
she was at, she was at the Melian Garden. I think she's still writing for them, but also not not very well known, uh, but but prominent um, in getting really good information and, and breaking stories out in the right way. Um, another one that's really 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 good and it, it slips the the mainstream guys because it's, she she reports mainly in Afrikaans, and it's Erica Gibson. Um, Erica Gibson, if I've I've always wished that she would also report in English. She does sometimes, but uh, mainly in Afrikaans for like debugging and reports and stuff like that. Um, And and she's got really, really good hard hitting stories. Um, And she gets, she's got an information stream towards her. Like it's crazy. You phone her with anything and say, okay, I heard this. She'll phone you back in two minutes and say, it's bullshit. My source in Frippin Kandahar or whatever. Um, says that it's not like that and he works on the base where this allegedly happened. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of journalists like that in this country that need to get a bit more recognition. Um, yeah. well, they're, they're the ones, you know, making it about the story. Yes, yeah. And 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 also, if there's if there's a story that needs to be told, where information needs to be made public, they make sure that it happens, and they make sure that their their sources are protected as well. Um, so, I mean, they they really make sure it's it's a personal thing. They take it personally that that the information needs to be out there and and for public public knowledge. Yeah, because unfortunately, we reached the stage where the journalists are the story. Right. So for so for that's example, like the cardinal that's the cardinal rule that they're breaking. Right, journalist is not supposed to become the story ever. I mean, that, that's what journalists have told me um, about yeah. it. And so, even, just for example, for today, CNN doxed a man who created a meme that Donald Trump tweeted, right? Yes, yeah. And and now they found him, and apparently he apologized, and they have his details. Uh, sounds and, eerily familiar. Yeah, but well, here in South Africa, we dox people first. Yes, right. And, and then we, we interrupt them, them in their we, lunch break and make them resign. Right, and then we film them during the lunch break like a fucking police interrogation. <laughs> um, but CNN has a good, good sense not to do that. But the difference in terms of, but the, CNN has become the story. Yeah, no, they have, and, and I mean, I think the only reason why it sort of gained uh, the sort of traction that it did was because Donald Trump retweeted the video. Yeah, and uh, now everyone oh because it's it's fucking Donald Trump. Sorry, I'm gonna swear a lot. Oh, it, please it's do. Fucking Don, it's fucking Donald Trump all of a sudden, and he's this like weirdo, retard, pervert kind of guy. Uh, let's just like shaft him and 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 pick on everyone else that tries to support him, even though this was probably a joke. The guy created it and thought it would be funny, and it was funny. I watched it. It's it was not Trump funny. It was it was hilarious. Memes and gifs great. are funny. That's what they're there for. They're 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 jokes. They they're yeah. visual jokes. That's all they yeah. are. Um, I, it it seems odd to me that that anyone would take them that seriously. But you know, at, at at home we've got we've got similar kind of news media making themselves the story. We've got ANN Seven, which is pretty much a network joke, a news network joke, um, yes. as a as a propaganda sort of front, um. And then, of course, you know, we've had multiple sort of weird and wonderful things happening with um, publications like the Huffington Post. Uh, There've been points where the Mail and Guardian has hardly covered itself in glory, and that used to be the sort of premier publication. Uh, But IOL writing about equal swerve every five minutes. Yeah, and 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 you know, even it's interesting because because there's good me there's good journalism sometimes and poor journalism other times and i guess that's what the journalists would say you know we don't get it right always and 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 sometimes we screw it up it just seems that there's a cult of personality you know which roman was alluding to 
Yeah, yeah. Look, there, there definitely seems to be that sort of thing popping up. Uh, some of these journalists that are out to, to, to get their names out there and to, to chase the next big fat. And I, and I call them the, they've, they've, they've joined the professional outrage, outrage brigade. Uh, right. There seems to be this trend where everyone's professionally outraged. And now journalists are jumping on that same, certain journalists are jumping on that same bandwagon and they're creating even more storm around these idiots on, on Twitter that uh, freak out about some dude farting on the side of a street and uh, there happened to be someone of color standing behind them and all of a sudden fucking he's a racist sort of thing. Um, so, I mean, these guys are jumping on these bandwagons and they're fueling the fire even more. Um and I was I was speaking to someone the other day, and and they said to me that there's all there always seems to be this kind of in South Africa, particularly at the moment, there's this like low key, low key, and I, I think I spoke to you about it, Ramon, as well. Um, this low key sort of new kind of civil war being fought at the moment, and it's being fueled by some of these journalists. They're adding fuel to the fire, and they're making it worse um, when it's actually not that bad. Same with Shelley Garland, for example. It was a it was a perfect example of um, of of them having made a stuff up, but then instead of rectifying and saying I'm sorry, they they fueled it even more and made it a whole race thing. Uh, true, I mean, and that's the thing about Bell Pottinger, right? Let's go back to them. A lot of people give them yeah. grief. I, I quite like following their timeline. I haven't been blocked, by the way. I'm one of the few in the country. Obviously, are I'm you not. are you still? I haven't. Are I, you? Are you? I, I can't believe it. I mean, either. Me neither. Nevertheless, I follow the only them. people who haven't blocked you are Bell Pottinger. So they created the whole narrative about uh, white not capital and racism and all that, which is which is fine, whatever. But it would never have gotten hold of the narrative if the media didn't buy into it in the first place, or reported on it in the first place, or, or believed it. Indeed, I mean, I mean. It, the, Bell Pottinger was the spark, and then they were just the fucking fuel on top of it. Oh, well, that's the thing. Bell Pottinger knew that that was going to happen. They knew the media was going to jump on it and look. That, that was the next fad and the next uh, two weeks of, of outrage. Um, and Bell Pottinger knew about it, and they used it to their advantage. So they just dropped one little penny, and everyone else ran off with it. And then you had Jimmy Money, who was obviously being paid by the Guptas to, to to keep pushing the narrative. And then people go and retweet, and then these some of these journalists will go and retweet Jimmy Money and make him even more famous. The same as Andile, Tama. Listen, Tim, Tim, we white. I don't give a fuck how you pronounce it. I can't pronounce it, so I don't give a fuck. Anyway. There's he wouldn't pronounce Ramon Kabanek properly, so There's I guess. black people that don't even know how to pronounce his name properly. <laughs> so, I mean. <laughs> yeah, but but, but, but but he's a good example, actually. Here's this yeah. thug, right, a drunkard, who grew up on a farm somewhere, right, who who joined the EFF and they kicked him out for being a drunkard. And now he's, he sold his original movement out first to join the EFF. Indeed, indeed. and he's, But all he is is a thug with a very good uh you know appetite for alcohol and all he does is is say land or death and everyone's a racist and it's like bell pottinger 101 and we still give him the time of day why well i mean he, he got a taste of this of the seventy thousand rand a month that he was earning in parliament and then when that was taken away from him he all of a sudden trapped himself and uh 
he went begging to the Guptas like everyone else in the country has been doing. I mean, you, we, we saw it in the media how many politicians have gone to his house to have, have gone to the Guptas' house to have uh, lunch with him. Yeah, so sure. he did exactly the same as them. He went begging and uh, yeah, because he's because he's got this, this, this outrage factor to him, because he says things like oh, necklace someone or um, – I read something the other day about him saying about something about matches and the wind and farmers and but, shit like that. That yeah. sort of stuff is, and people jump onto it, retweet it, and then say, "Oh, Andile said this." But, but and, the, the thing is, is, is Twitter we know is is a is a very small platform. Actually, it, it has yeah. it has relatively little sway. It's uh, essentially where the bourgeoisie spend their time, uh, virtue signaling. Um, yeah. What 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 occurs to me is that journalists have an incredible amount of power which we as a society want them to have because, uh, you know, the whole concept of the fourth estate, they are the check on power. We give yeah. them that power to be able to put people's name in, in lights or black and white. Um, and in so doing, they, they get to tackle uh, every other form of power. Um, and that, that, that's, that's, that's the, the sort of dynamic that, that is set up. The issue is, is that, it seems as if now the the, the interest is is not um, in in being the best interest in the best interest of the public, but rather pushing a certain narrative. So, for example, you know, because there's a very sort of left leaning press in South Africa for the most part, they'll be happy to push these sort of neo Marxist ideas around race, for example, and and yeah. oppression, uh, and and so. They love these stories. Uh, you, you know, we, we were talking about Bell Pottinger and that, and that they just basically dropped a seed and, and the media ran with it and, and allowed publication of, of editorials in their newspapers and opinion columns from people like Money. Um, and, and how do you, how do you see that check on power? Because the media sort of screams the minute you say we want to kind of, Stop you from being irresponsible, and I understand why they 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 get upset about it. same as us get upset with people saying we want to check your freedom of speech. Um, they say, well, don't check the freedom of freedom of the press. Where do you where do you think that line is? Where, how do we get back to a point where journalists are reporting the real story as it is, and not where they want it to go? Well. I think these 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 sort of let's call them populist journalists that you're talking about. Some of them we need to stop giving them the time of day, um, reacting to their stuff, just basically letting them say whatever they want to say. Eventually, they're going to realize that what they're saying is irrelevant. No, no one really gives a fuck. Um, that's one of the ways to do it. Uh, another way is also to 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 call them out on their bullshit. And I know it causes some sort of uh, some sort of trouble because if you call out some journalists on the, on their bullshit, you you end up with all their followers sort of that agree with them, um, sort of hammering you on the other side. So yeah, you, you sometimes give uh, more fuel to the fire because they yeah, you know they've yeah. created a small fire of of something and then you argue with them and they get to spin it into seventeen more columns down the way. And then another way would be to people. There's a lot of people that give stories to journalists. Um, hand pick who your journalist is. Have have a group of four or five journalists that you know will will do the right thing, and give them the story instead of giving it to someone who because every everyone that a lot of people will say, oh, um, I have to give this to. Let, let let let's let's for let's say for for example sake, 
Uh, let's use carte blanche as an example. Um, whenever there's something really bad happening, a lot of people will say, oh, well, this must go to carte blanche. It must go to carte blanche. Uh, and they get inundated with all these massive stories. And they can they have a choice whether they can pick or choose the worst ones or not. Um, but if you pick these other journalists and give them the, the better stories, they, they're going to start getting a bit more prominent. But they'll also be true to themselves the way that they've always been. They're not going to, they're not going to turn around and think that they're better than everyone else or carry on with the way these other guys are doing. So if we go back to our original premise about the, these are sort of two types of journalists, right? Some that, that do the story and some who want to be the story from the journalists that, you know, the ones that we agree are good. Is there a tension between the, the, the so-called popular journalist and, and the ones that are doing the work? Is there a tension there, even in the same organizations? I don't think so. I think the guys that are doing the jobs don't really care about these other guys because they, they're there to do one thing. They're there to do their jobs. They're, they're not there to, um, to sort of roll their eyes every time one of the, 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 the popular colleagues kind of, um, says something stupid or reports something stupid. So they're, they're just there for one thing. They're there to do their jobs and then they believe in the profession that they, that they're working. So I don't think there is really a tension between them. Okay. Okay. And, and, but you'll probably right. see it from the popular ones. The popular ones will, if you start giving better stories to 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 the the the, the more traditional colleagues, they'll they'll probably be the ones that are spiteful sort of thing, and there'll be resentment towards the the ones doing the job. Right. Right. So, the the original point of this discussion was to was to talk about your your friend. Who passed yeah. away recently? Uh, her name was Sine Fenter. She was one of the SABC eight. Yes, yeah. and she died from a suspected medical condition uh, last week. So, just based on 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 your history with her, uh, can you just give us a little bit of uh, what her character was? Like, what did she? How did she approach the work that she did? Fearlessly. She was, she was fearless in dealing with problems, um, and in dealing with the work that she did. Uh, she, she wasn't scared to, to do a job at all. And it didn't matter the outcome of it either. Um, for example, she wanted to go and report on, on what happened, what was happening in Syria. So she used her own money to go over, over to Turkey and then she snuck over the border. She smuggled herself over the border. I believe she got shot at with, by Turkish police on the way out as well. And, on her own with a couple of smugglers, she walked for three days to where she was going and then she came back again. Um, another one was Yemen. She reported on what was going on in Yemen. Um, uh, another one when, when the Israelis were, were attacking, uh, attacking Palestine in this last, this last round. Well, I don't know if there was, there's been any since then, but the last televised one, um, she went over on her own again as well and used her own money and reported for the SABC. Um, on, on events that were happening there. So, I mean, she was very, she, she, she was brave. She really had, she really had a lot of courage and she wasn't scared to, to, to do what she believed in. Um, a very kind person, a very soft person too. She, she had a very, she was very soft spoken as well. Um, but I've, I've never met anyone that's that, and I mean, she didn't, she didn't give a shit if people were listening into phone calls or anything like that. She, she, she was, she was hardcore. Right. So, I mean, I, I don't want to, the, the reason why we don't talk about this is because in a liberal democracy, it's not usual for journalists to, to die at the age of no. 32 of 
a suspected medical condition brought about by by stress. Yeah. So there's been a lot of rumors and allegations about what she, what had, had happened to her since the SABC 8 moment. So can you just explain what SABC 8 was and what consequences flowed from that? Okay, what happened was, I don't know if you remember, Shari um, Mutsane. Um, of course. Very, a very, very special, very special man, future president of South Africa. Uh, as he sees himself. Anyway, uh, King Cloudy decided one day that uh, it was time to tell good news. And I don't know if you remember, and, and it stems back to what Zuma said, President, oh, sorry, before I piss someone else off, President Jacob Zuma said uh, a couple he, of years uh, back. Atul Gupta's deputy? Yeah, yeah, he's the deputy president of the country. Uh, <laughs> Karine Duplessis was tweeting about a an event that Zuma was speaking in about the media, and and Zuma had just gotten back from Mexico, and he was saying, "Oh, Mexican journalists are wonderful. They only report the good news, and oh, South African journalists <laughs> must be exactly like that. They must just report the good news, so because we have a good story to tell, and it tied into moving forward and the whole, the ANC's moving forward and better story to tell and all that crap that just never happens, and." Um, I think uh, Saudi decided no. Well, let's take a uh, let's take a picture out of that book, and he said no. That no more protest action was going to be reported on. Now, if you look at protest action in South Africa, and this is where it comes back to also when I said the slow scale civil war sort of being waged. A couple of years ago, there were maybe a few hundred protests in in a year. Not there were a lot, but not that many. This year. There's been more than a couple of hundred protests. And Af- African, uh, let's put uh, Africa check on it. They can go and check how many protests there were and put out in the last, say, five years, the number of protests a year. And, and, and there's been more protests now than, than ever before. And I think Cloudy didn't want this to, to, to tie into, into the other narratives that the, or, or assumptions that could be made from it. And he said uh, that at the SABC, there will be no prote- uh, there will be no footage shown of protest action anymore, and this is where the shit hit the fan. A lot of journalists decided that this is not on at at, at the SABC. Uh, Suno was one of them. Futterkrieger was another one. Jacques Dienkamp, um, the, the, the Karani Pele, I think was the, was one of the other ones, and they decided no that they were going to protest this. Um, the Right to Know campaign started protesting outside the SABC. And they were told not to report what was going on outside as well. Um, so these journalists decided to join in and they, they actually got placards, wore black, and they taped their mouths shut with a cross. And it started off a storm because a lot of the journalists and, and if you look back on that, it's also the journalists that, that, that aren't in real public limelight. Yeah, the ones that, that, the, the, the popular or famous ones, uh, did it too. But a lot of other journalists popped out of the woodworks that, that, that most people didn't really know of and producers and stuff like that. They worked in it and um, they started posting their pictures with, uh, with the duct tape on their, on their mouths. And this is where the shit happened. And Cloudy decided, no, well, these eight guys are going to get fired and he suspended them. The HR guys at SABC decided that they were going to turn a blind eye to procedure not being followed. The, the lawyers uh, decided not to, not to look at anything like uh, – Turn a blind eye and just let it happen, and and the, the eight of them were fired um, on the spot. So I mean, it, it, that's where that's where they became the SABC eight. Right, right. And then they they went to court. Uh, they, yes. I think they had an application to court, and the court said their dismissal was unlawful. 
and they went uh, they went back to work. If I remember correctly, they went back to work. Barfel won. I think William Vokor was because he was um, he was a stringer. He his he wasn't reinstated, so he was right. freelancing. I think. Right. Um, but the rest of them were were were, were sent back, and one of them's resigned, and he's he's actually he's like fuck the shit, I'm out, and he went to New Zealand. So. Um, oh, right. Yeah, right. So I mean. So what what happened to to Sine and her colleagues in the SABC eight, the ones that remained, of course, after they went back well, to work? With Suna, Suna and the rest of them, they were they. Were, they called him. What happened was Cloudy and his and his cronies. They, there was a small group of them that decided they were going to run the show and 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 cause crap. And they started having let's call them rats um, within the ranks of the SABC who would report back to what what were known as enforcers. Uh, Sooner in her testimony called them called them enforcers, and um, these enforcers would then go and report back to Cloudy or carry out his his orders on them. And they were victimized a lot at work. Um, bad rumors specifically about Suna were sp- spread around things like she was psychologically unstable and uh, that she was uh, she was imagining things were happening to her. But, I mean, out of all of them, they all were receiving death threats. They all had strange break-ins happening to them. Um, I'm going to talk specifically about Suna now because it's, it's the most um, sure. out there topic at the moment. Her tires were slashed on her car. The, the, the wheel nuts on her, on her wheels were loosened most of the time when she got in her car. Um, she was kidnapped and, and, and tied to a tree and the field was, the felt was set on fire around her. Um, How did that not make news? That's the thing. It I did. mean, that's, that's, that's terrifying. The one, the one thing that was, that, that, that was quite important. Now, anything that sort of came out and I looked at it last night. The only thing that came out was when she was shot in the face um, by someone with a pellet gun. And that wasn't the first time she had been shot at, actually. She had been shot at before with, uh, I think it was like a ceramic sort of bullet at her windshield or something like that. But uh, she was shot in the face and these pellets were embedded in her face. Um, oh, When she did go and report that to the police, the policeman yeah. said to her, no, it's domestic violence. She lived alone. Um, and he didn't believe her that she had been shot in the face. It's I, I, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. But even that if it were domestic only, violence, it's it's illegal. Exactly. It's assault. Exactly. And um, the thing is, I've had, and, I, I, and I'm probably going to piss off someone, but I had a journalist speak to me the other day and ask me, uh, was she not making these things up? Because there's been rumors going around that she was making it up because it's, it hasn't, it hadn't been reported on. Uh, no one knew about it. There's, there's a fucking dossier the size of my arm on all the incidents that, that had happened to her. Um, on the last incident, it happened about two or three weeks ago. Sorry, phoned, Tim. Sorry, yeah. Tim. Where, where is this dossier? Um, at the moment, it's sitting with the intelligence guys because they, they may or may not suspect some sort of foul play. Okay. In, in her death. Um, as far as I know, and as far and what the family says is that, um, it was the heart condition from caused from the stress of all of this that, that, right. that ultimately ended it. All right. Um, Sorry, but I interrupted you. So we're talking about the reporting of, of these, of the incidents, yeah. of the incidents. I mean, I was unaware until she passed away, actually. Yeah. So was it reported on? Yeah, she, what she did was she went on, she, she went to SAPS and she reported it to, to SAPS and to the intelligence guys. Um, 
it was basically met with some, some, some most form of a of, of sort of they ignored her or, or they, they they logged the reports and stuff like that, but nothing was really done about it. Um, and the problem was rumors were started by by Claudia and Co that she was unstable and that she was making these things up, and it it kind of spread around and and a lot of these a lot of these so called journalists spread that spread that uh, spread that around as well, and they made it worse. And and now we sit with this narrative that she was possibly uh, making that up, which is which is total bullshit, because I know the the dossier is there and it is, is it, it will, it'll be available for for people to look at that she wasn't making it up. Um, in terms of and that's the thing, I I heard this from 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 a colleague of hers, a fellow journalist asked me if it was true. Um, and, and he's not the only one that's, that, that, that asked me that there's, there's quite a few spreading it around because he must have heard it from someone else who heard it from someone else or brought it up and probably brought it up at a, at a memorial service yesterday too. Um, and, th- and that, that, that makes it even worse. They, they, they're talking behind her back even after she's dead. And yeah, it, it just, it just makes it, makes it worse. Oh. Right. So do we know? Who assaulted her and kidnapped her and destroyed her property and stalked her? No, we don't. All right. It's supposed to have been investigated, but but it never yeah. was. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. and uh, I mean, you you were in touch with her uh, quite recently. Yeah, regularly. Uh, the the last time I spoke to her was. Let me check on my phone quickly. <laughs> sure, uh, I'm just I'm just trying to understand, you know, what what her what her state of mind is. I, it's 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 entirely um, possible that she died of the so-called broken heart syndrome, Takotsuba. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to, I don't want, I don't want to um, sort of get into speculation. Either way, that's what the family have said. I, I accept it, I, and mm. it just the incredible stress that she must have been under. Um, mm. to, to, for that to happen. Um, it's, it's, it's quite a catastrophic, um, sort of condition. And yeah. it is generally brought on by an incredible amount of, of personal stress and strife, um, in which your body essentially, physiologically, you're in a, a, a sort of fight or flight response permanently. Permanently. Um, yeah. to, to cause that kind of damage to your heart. Um, yeah. especially in such a young person. Um, and you know, I mean, was she sh- sort of showing signs of it? Was she being very strong and 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 just making as if she was coping? Uh, you know, because it sounds like she was a really very independent, strong person who, who yeah. didn't let these things get to her. You know, someone who who sort of goes over the border into Syria. Um, you know, that, that's that's really is someone, as you said, who's 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 quite who's quite brave and, and, and really doesn't let things get to them very easily. No, I mean, with her, she, she, she did so show signs of stress um, at, at times, but it didn't seem, it didn't seem like it, 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 it was getting to her to that point. Um, I knew that she was unwell at one stage and um, I actually checked up on her a couple of times just to see that she was okay. And she said, no, look, I was fine. I'm fine. Um, but the last incident, it was about, <coughs> it was about two or three weeks ago. Um, she said to me, I oh, know there, there was a guy who, uh, a guy who brought a, he brought a knife to a gunfight. 
Um, and that was just her being saying that she, she, she was a lot stronger than him. But she, she noticed that the, the wheels on her car were rattling. So she stopped the vehicle to, to try and check to see if her nuts had been loosened yet again. And she was tightening them and someone came up behind her and kicked her from behind. And there was a struggle that ensued with that. And I mean, that was the, that was the last incident. She never reported it because she had gotten to the point then with this last incident that what's the point? No one's being found that's doing it to me. No one's being linked to this, uh, that's giving the orders to do this. It doesn't seem stuff. like anyone was listening to it anyway. No one really, no one really gives a shit. And there, there, there were, there were, there are a few of us that did actually care. And I mean, I, I, I said to her many times, um, come down and, and come and spend some time here. If you ever feel unsafe or anything like that, give me a call and I'll arrange for you to have a safe place to stay where you can just have a break and whatever and get, get away from all this shit. Um, so, and I mean, she, some of her colleagues, she stayed with a couple of times after the incidents happened. But I mean, I suppose after such a long time of this constant pressure of over a year, Death threats constantly, SMSs constantly. You'd think that an SMS would be able to be traced. Um, and it, and, and it, no one really did anything. And that goes back to this thing of, of the captured state. Yeah. Every crony is scratching another crony's thing. And there's the, there was this false sense of, this false sense of concern. Um, you've got Uncle Figile at the moment now making it out like he's the super fucking top cop and he, he's actually doing jack shit. Uh, oh, yeah, we're concerned about your safety sooner. Don't worry, we'll find it. And then sit and tweet about Floyd Mayweather or whatever. Um, and and that's, that, that was the main problem. There were a lot of colleagues that had this false concern. I made it like they were concerned, but actually didn't give a damn. So, so is, there, is there a causal link? So it did start after she was reinstated at the SABC. Yes. So yeah. the protest, firing court application reinstated then all this started or all, all the harassment yeah. and death threats and things like that yeah yeah okay so there's a, there's a, there's a clear link between yeah. reinstatement yeah. and and what happened to her yeah and 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 many people not not really many people are saying it that that and i said the day i heard that she had passed away and i said cloudy this is on you and i don't give a shit if cloudy's listening right now i'm he directly or indirectly caused her, her death. He's a, he's a big consumer um, of our show. He does come to us for, for decent content. Does he know how to use podcasts? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, sorry, you, you said. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, there were a lot of things that could have been done, uh, to help her and the others that, that weren't done. Um, be it the legal people at the SABC that could have done something, the um, HR people that could have done something, uh, they, her, her colleagues, um, and other journalists from other media houses too. When when they spoke to her or saw her in passing and asked her how she was doing, um, they, did, they didn't say anything. Members of parliament, she was at the SABC inquiry, um, they could have done more to, to assist it. They, they, they could have provide a protection for these people. If, if you see that people are getting death threats, you would think there would be some kind of protection program to, to, to see to it that these people are safe. Yeah, it I, wasn't done. I find it so hypocritical because we've got a, you know, we've got multiple situations, some of which deserve, um, you know, the, the response that they get. Uh, but 
we're hearing that there was no response here. So you've got, you know, Peter Bruce's house um, vandalized and, and demonstrated outside of um, mm. under completely false pretenses and the media loses their minds and, and probably rightfully so. I mean, that's, that's vandalism and destruction to property at minimum. Um, and, you know, as I've said, I, in my opinion, Black Land First or whatever they call themselves are, are, are essentially a terrorist group. Um, but there's, 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 the media loses their minds over something like that. We've had previous incidents where you get Sanif releasing statements, um, yeah. these sort of strongly worded statements and, and everyone sort of comes out in support of X or Y. Um, and every year when we have, you know, 16 days of activism, the, uh, the celebrities that we've spoken about amongst the journalists, uh, many of them will virtue signal and, and say how important it is. So many of them go on uh, ad infinitum about uh, abuse of women or gender stereotypes or all this mm. kind of stuff, rape culture, you know, these types of concepts. Um, here was an opportunity to actually get involved, to actually be part of helping a woman who was genuinely under attack. Um, yeah. And it seems as if all of and these she wasn't she wasn't the only one. It was the failed. other journalists too. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, maybe maybe let's talk about that a little bit. Is anything now being at least done? Is are people going all right? Well, you know, one dead journalist, as Ramon said, a dead journalist in a in a liberal democracy. One dead journalist is is one journalist too many. Um, perhaps we should look at what's happening to the other journalists and 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 and. And start taking this seriously. I don't. I don't think enough is being done. Um, a couple of years back, I, I there was a protest happening in a, in a in a small area in Somerset West, behind where I was staying. It was literally four kilometers down the road from where I was staying, and I was at work and I heard that that uh, Sanrel was was demolishing these people's houses because they wanted to build a toll road through through the area. It was the the Luandle evictions? Um, eventually, I became the only sole witness that was credible enough to to give testimony at the Luanda Commission of Inquiry. Um, but one of the journalists that that, that, that asked me to come through, um, and, and she's a fantastic journalist. Um, she, I think she's with AFP. I'm not sure if she's there anymore. But her name's Kristen van Ski. And Kristen van Ski is, is taught me more than a lot of journalists have taught me. And she taught me something in, in just one word. And she said that everyone, journalists run around looking for the bang, bang. And I know you've seen the movie, the bang, bang club. It's, it's about mm. journalism as well. Yeah. Journalists are always, and, and she told me about Marikana and what was happening that, that all these journalists were looking for the bang, bang happening at Marikana. But if they had stayed behind in the, in, in the, in the township itself to see what was happening with those people there, they would have picked up the biggest story. And the, why the miners were striking and why they were doing what they were doing because of the conditions that they were living in and because of the salaries that they were earning. So these journalists, they run around, and I've used it a lot since then. These journalists run around looking for the bang, bang. And that incident that happened with uh, with those thugs from Black First, Land First or whatever, I don't even pay attention to them anymore. Hmm. But that, that day, that was the bang, bang. That incident of Peter Bruce being attacked, that was the bang, bang. When when Sunafenta and the other SABC eight were protesting, it was the, it was unprecedented. So that was the bang bang. But after a year, the bang bang dies out, and they don't care anymore. Yeah, 
I think another example I'll give you is Shiraz Muhammad, the mm-hmm. journalist that went disappearing that that went missing in Syria. Uh, he was kidnapped. Hmm. That's how that's how me and Suna became very good friends because I was one of the very few that was trying to look for Shiraz and try and find out what had happened to him. And between the two of us, we 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 worked well together to try and get information. And that was a huge story at the beginning of the year. It's been how many months now, and no one you ask who Shiraz Muhammad is, and no one cares. Yeah, I, I, th- I sense um, an example as well that could be added is is what um, Rian Milan wrote with with, yes. with regards to Caligny. You know, he oh he, that racist he, article. He went, <laughs> yeah, anything we don't like is racist. Um, yeah, yeah. I, that word loses more meaning every single day, f- as far as I'm concerned. But mm-hmm. you know, he went there and he he wrote a, about the the story, the story behind oh. this, as you mentioned, the bang bang. You know, yes. Um, there were people burning houses and there was a, a bail um, hearing and that was the sort of – and it was a bit of a demonstration outside the courtroom. But really the real story was all the stuff that had happened in lead up to that and around that um, within the community. And in that case, the victims um, were were – Obviously, the one guy who has who had died, um, who the who the other guys were on trial for, but but also these these sort of innocent bystanders who had had their their shops mm. looted and and their homes looted and been told to to leave, um, because they weren't welcome. Um, it's 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 just an, a very unfortunate state. Do you get the impression that there's just too much? Because you know, like you mentioned. One story comes and it's a big story and it should stay a big story. We've got a South African citizen who is a hostage in another country. I mean, that should be a big thing. Uh, and it gets forgotten about. Is it just, there's too much? Is it, is, is it too overwhelming? You know, the nothing stays on the front page for more than nine days. No, nothing stays on the front page for longer than two days lately. Um, the, 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 I think there is. There's there's just so much instability at the moment in the country and so much crap happening. There's so much corruption. There's so much crime. There's so much everything that uh, it, you're right. It's not it's not um, it's not newsworthy for long enough to actually make an impact uh, and make a difference if the story comes out. And and key details get lost. Like Rian Milan said in his in his article, if someone had uh, had had gone and and checked for the the other boy that ran away. And asked him what happened, and 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 said to him, "Look, have you done this before? What has what happened before when you stole? I think it was, was it millies or sunflowers? Sunflowers. sunflowers. Yeah. What happened the last time you got caught stealing sunflowers? Okay. Well, the uncle put us on the back of the bucky and he took us to the police station. Yeah. And then they let us okay. go with a warning. And then they let us go with a warning yeah. because where's your mom and dad? Okay. Well, my mom may have my mom. Let's say hypothetically, my mom's dead and my, my I live with my granny." Uh, that sort of stuff. People forget to look for those details now because there's there's now there's there's this bigger picture now. All of these people are protesting and now it's racism and a, and a white guy killed a black kid and, and the it's, kid probably it's, 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 did it turn out to, it turned out to be that the kid tried to run at a, at an intersection and he jumped off the bucky. Uh, we still don't know. Yeah, I think it, I think away. it's the court case. You know, still has to go ahead, which is also yeah. another problem with with court cases. Is is yeah, no people get people, people get now. very emotional about these things, um, but but it, it, we, we, no one really wants to wait for the facts to come out. Yeah, it's. Yeah. 
It's it, that's, Beverly Anson is a prime example of that. No one wants to. No one wants to fact. Mabel Janssen, they crucified her, and she she was alienated and and everything. Hmm. A couple of months, a year later, a year and a couple of months later, Kurabo McQuenna gets 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 murdered, and all of a sudden, men are trash. And and then people are, and then people people that condemned Mabel Janssen and said she was a racist piece of shit or a racist bitch or whatever, were starting were jumping up and saying, "Oh, but Mabel was right." Yeah, well, by, and by that point, Mabel had uh, lost her job or left her job. We're not sure yeah. exactly the status, but the point yeah. is someone who was, by all accounts, a, a good justice of the court. Yeah, um, I mean, my big problem with, with Mabel Janssen or her case specifically, she has had no opportunity to say, to give her context at all. No, she hasn't. Nothing at all. Um, so how do we know what she meant? Because context is everything. These people that talk about things as if context doesn't matter are scum, absolute scum. Okay. And some of them happen to be journalists too, which is lower than scum. No, not really. But uh, no, no, yeah. which, is quite, which is strange. Facts. What are, what happened to the facts? Right. Facts and these are the same people that moan about fake news all the fucking time, right? Yeah. That because yeah. oh, Burki is in fucking Frida, whatever, Friedeberg, uh, follow Marula Media, which is like fake news. And then, but they can't give any context to the stories that they're reporting on. I don't think Marula Media is fake news at all. No, I don't. That's the argument made. I can't no. read Afrikaans, but I heard they're pretty good. But no, that's, no, that's, that's what I'm saying. These people don't understand that they are the cause of, of fake news and they are the cause of, of people not trusting authority and they are the cause of people being doubtful about claims yeah. Yeah. because they're the ones that make up these fucking things all the time yeah no that's true and they they it, it adds fuel to everything and they the, and the, the unfortunate thing is they're going to be the cause of some sort of civil civil instability in this country too which um, which i think i think based on the glee with it. which with which certain events are covered um they'll be quite happy because because it, it it does it does at least seem to me that some journalists enjoy running from fire to fire uh, it's they do. and it's quite funny because recently i think i don't know if it was jim acosta or one of the cnn journalists i think who compared all journalists to firefighters so it's been a it's been a it's been a running joke um on social media um you know when a journalist will like tweet something about you know today we are doing this or we're doing that or you know of course in america it's hashtag resist then um you know mm. it'll be retweeted with it just like firefighters um, <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah it's, it's it is interesting but look i i i still do believe um journalists play a very important role i just it, it'd be nice if the people you've described and mentioned many of them by name who mm. really take their job very seriously as putting putting the facts on the page and the story on the page and whether their name is acknowledged or not is beside the point. Um, mm -hmm. It's about telling the story as best as they can. They're not running around trying to outwork each other. And there's a trend in South Africa. Everyone's trying to outwork each other with certain things. Uh, so you've got all these bro flakes and snowflakes running around trying to outwork each other. And um, the... the these journalists that I've worked with in the past, and they know who they are. If they're listening, you guys know exactly who, are, yeah. who we are. Because we're in contact 
even even if there isn't a story, I'm in contact with them. Right. And um, they, sorry. And if they are listening, just know when we say journalists are lower than scum, we're not talking about you. Yeah. No, there's only, and you there's only there seems to be only a there seems to be a handful of journalists that that I can't tolerate. Indeed, but unfortunately, um, they dominate the narrative all the time, and that's what irritates yeah. me the most. Uh, so 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 much, you know. So, they always say like the tallest tree catches the most wind or whatever the case might be. Uh, these people are not trees. They're fucking shrubs acting like no. they're trees. That's the problem. Uh, and, and someone, some of the guys listening will probably think, yeah, but now I've probably buggered up my chances with these journalists. I don't speak to these journalists that have this, 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 uh, this bias or this, this, this agenda or, or their own personal so, egos. So, so I don't let, contact them. let's talk about that quickly because, yeah. you know, we've, we've said on the show before that, that our view is, is, there's no such thing as a truly objective human. Um, you, you can try to be objective and, and we have certain roles in society, judges as an example, who, are, who try to be objective. Uh, you know, lawyers might in certain instances try to be objective, but, but every one of us is influenced by, by our so-called lived experience. Mm. And, and so, you know, journalists are people. And so it's understandable that they may feel a certain way towards things. And, um, the fact that you might apply for a job, for example, at, um, the, uh, the Mail and Guardian and not Marula Media might be because you feel that you just ideologically don't fit in with the more right side of politics that Marula Media would, 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 uh, approach things. And you fit in with the Mail and Guardian, which is certainly the left side of politics and is mm. becoming much more left on a daily basis. Um, I, I don't view that as a problem necessarily. I just wish there was some honesty. Um, mm. and I suppose that it can possibly become an issue when the bias consumes the person. So, yes. You can, you can feel a certain way towards things, but you can still be, you can still present both sides and go, look, this is what I view as being the correct way, but this was also presented and you make up your mind. Um, it's not creating extremism. Mm. And that's what we're seeing. The, the, yeah. These, you these, mentioned the woke people, you know, <laughs> yeah. if you, if you're referring, yeah. yeah, if you're referring to yourself as woke, then you are taking on an exceptionally, you know, there's no difference between saying I'm woke to uh, saying I'm alt-right. The, no. the, the, those are the, those are the same thing, just the on different things. sides of the spectrum. Um, and if you are saying you woke, then you have no objectivity. And I, I wonder if anyone who describes themselves as that has a place in journalism. Well, I mean, being woke, being woke is the new socialism. It's 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 kind it's, it's kind of strange. You've got the socialism that socialism comes as a as a thing, and then it it it, it disguises itself as democracy, and then turns into capitalism. Uh, woke. It's just another term for I'm I'm a bit of a socialist kind of ideals person, Marxist sort of thing, and it's 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 just another form of extremism, and that's that's the problem. Also in South Africa, we're giving we're giving different names to the same thing, um, and and it's it's exactly this. Uh, our, our grandparents said it, or we saw it back then. We see we see it now. It's just in a different form. Yeah. Different History repeats itself. It has to. Unfortunately, because uh, we've got decolonized historical studies or something. Anyway, what, what is not work? So, I mean, Tim, thank you. I mean, it's, I think it's important for the listeners to understand that we don't hate every journalist. We hate most of them, especially the ones with lots of followers on Twitter. Being hyperbolic. They try to make the news. I say for you, Barry Bateman, you're pretty cool. <laughs> Come on our show. Uh, other than that, <laughs> uh, it's important for people to note uh, as we as we 
said three times now, it is not normal for a journalist to die from a medical condition brought upon by, by, uh, what's called utmost stress. Ex- extreme stress. Yeah. Extreme I mean, stress. In a liberal democracy. Um, if the allegations are true, there's, there's a huge problem in South Africa and we need to be wary of, of that. No, definitely. And the, the, there's, thing, there's, there's something that people need to remember, and it's, it's a, I'm going to quote someone. It's, it's, a, it's in German. Alsimich Holten gab keinen mehr die protestieren konnte. They came for me, and there was no one left to protest. Right. No, of course. Of course. That's where we're sitting. They, they, they're going for the journalists now, but we're not journalists, so we didn't say anything. Yeah, uh, and other journalists are not saying anything either. But nevertheless… Exactly. What is not work? Because uh, the last ten minutes, I want to talk about actually what what uh, you are actually a metalsmith. I'm a metalsmith now. Yeah. After right. after working with the union, I I made the mistake of uh, working for a political party in Parliament. Boy, yeah, yeah. The IFP. <coughs> um, but, sorry, what, you you don't get to just cough that away. I just <laughs> because because interestingly enough, if if we took the tribalism out of it. Um, the IFP are, from a political um, ideology perspective, have an incredibly liberal approach to to, to politics. Uh, I, and now I could be, I see you like shaking your head a little bit, but um, in terms of uh, some of the stuff I've read, is incredibly liberal. Yeah, look, they've got some good, they've got some good uh, members of parliament, uh, Liesel, Liesel. Fundamava is a very good, uh, very good. They, 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 they're two young MPs, are really good uh, MPs. Um, they've got good ideas, but the tribalism is never going to be removed from it because, in essence, the IFP is a Zulu nationalist party. They are there for Zulu interests, and that it finished in store, finished in Clark. Butelezi is the prince, is a prince in the Zulu nation, mm. and he's the traditional advisor to the king of the Zulu nation. That is never going to be removed. His deputy now, the guy that's going to take over the party, is also a Butelezi. It's all traditional. They believe in virginity testing um, for yeah, bursaries. Right, which is completely liberal, that, obviously. All, yeah. So, I mean, the, I, I went to the uh, – I started working for the IFP. Uh, didn't agree with him. We didn't agree with each other, and we couldn't meet in between, and we decided to part ways. Uh, so I left, I left there and then, uh, while I was working for the IFP, I started doing Japanese fine metal work as a, as a hobby and, uh, ended up buying a lot of tools when I, when I left the IFP and started, uh, someone said to me, well, make, to make some money, why don't you make me a Pokemon Go pendant? They wanted a little Pikachu thing. So I cut it for them in silver and then I started selling these things and I noticed that it was paying the rent. <laughs> so I carried on. Um, I've always had a fascination with knives as well. So I mean, I started I started making knives too. And you got, uh, a, we- you got a website for this? Um, I've got a Facebook page. It's the the Silver Atelier. Okay, a fancy cool. word for for workshop. And uh, it's a French yeah. word actually. It's not fancy. It's just French. Uh, Which makes nothing, nothing about the French, French is fancy. Is fancy. <laughs> <laughs> just very fancy. <laughs> but but uh, fuck's sake. <laughs> Oh, well done. We're going to edit this out of the fucking podcast. But the, but the reason why I will talk about about smithing, I suppose that's what you call it. I have no idea. Uh, is that the world is going through a bit of a turmoil? Like the, the there's a culture war going on between the the globalists, right, and and the nationalists. And I'm not calling you a nationalist by any means, but there, there seems to be. I'm a civic nationalist. Are you a civic nationalist? Okay, so there seems to be a people are. Nostalgic. They don't want like stuff made in 
China. Well, okay, they're not hipsters. I'm not talking about hipsters here. But they want something that's made within the vicinity of where they are, and there's something that's made to themselves, for themselves, uh, which is against like the, the globalist agenda, so to speak. So xenophobic. God. Yeah, no, no, really much so. Um, but that's what metal smithing is about. I mean, you work only with your hands to create objects for people who give you um, an outline of what they want. So yeah. you custom make everything. And it's, yeah, I mean, what is the difference between that and, and buying a knife, uh, I don't know, at Cape Union Mart? Well, and the difference between a knife that I make and the one that's made at Cape Union Mart is that my one will be able to chop through a steel spike and you can still shave with it. Um, mass-produced blades and, and jewelry and stuff like that, It's everyone knows that mass-produced means crap. There's not really good quality, long-lasting, um, quality mass-produced stuff. People always talk about things in the old days being made better. If you had a Ford Cortina, you could drive into, an, into a brick wall and it would still run. Now you, you take a Ford Bucky, a Bantam, and you drive it through a brick wall and you kind of disintegrate with it. Yeah. Um, so there's a concept and, called, sorry, there's a concept called planned obsolescence. Something mm, is yes, planned yeah. to fail. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, the, and, and it, because it brings in money and people remember, oh, I had this big name brand knife like Gerber and uh, it, it broke while I was chopping something with it, but I'll buy another one because it's a really good knife. But actually it's, they're feeding their own egos. They want that, they want that name brand name associated brand. with it. Yeah. Uh, so handmade stuff, there, there, there's, for example, the, I'm, I'm, I'm joining the American Bladesmiths Association, um, uh, quite soon. And, and after that, you do, you do an apprenticeship and then you do your journeyman smith. And part of your journeyman smith's test is to make a knife that you can cut a rope with and then chop through two, uh, two, two by four inch pine, um, planks and then still shave with the blade. And then they take your blade and they clamp it into a vise and they bend it to 90 degrees and it doesn't break. So I mean it's high quality, really, really well made stuff, and and that's what that's what bladesmithing and and met, met, metalsmithing in in South Africa is doing for for a very small portion of us that are still practicing because it's a dying art. Yeah, I can I can imagine it is, and a lot of these things are are, are dying arts, but it it it. It, it certainly could be some sort of industry, you know, if if yes, if, yeah. if if there was investment um, towards that. It's it's kind of it's it's kind of developing its own economy on 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 these Facebook groups and stuff like that. There, there's guys that are that will spend their last three four thousand rand on a blade that's custom made. Mm. There, there's one guy in particular I know. Every day he's buying five six seven thousand rands worth of knives from custom knife makers because he enjoys the quality of what he's getting, and he knows that later on in twenty years time it's going to be investment because half of us are going to be paying, and and his kids will have an investment plan because of something that's that's going to last a hundred years. Mm. Yeah. Sure, interesting. Right, yeah, because I mean, my uh, back in well, a few, uh, about a decade ago, we actually had custom made uh, rifles made yes, from yeah. from a chap in Pretoria, and Very it's nice. it was like Turkish oak for the stock. Uh, it was like a Mauser action. It was a, a certain steel compound for the bolt thing. It cost about seven times a normal rifle, <laughs> but when it's ready, fuck me, man. Yeah, well, really custom good. made is is always yeah. So is there so just to talk about that in terms of entrepreneurship? I mean, is yeah. 
that would be a good way to teach people who can't go to university or, or who can't mm. get skills or who worry about fees must fall and all that shit. I mean, these are good skills to have for, yeah. for, <clears throat> for, any, for, for anyone who doesn't want to get a tertiary education, so to speak. Uh, is there any sort of investment that, um, I don't know, the state or NGOs make to teach people how to actually use their hands in this way? Um, there, there, there are, not a, there's bursaries and stuff like that for, 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 for people to do that sort of stuff. But in, in, in general, apprenticeships in, in handcrafting things. I know, for example, jewelry and, and, and knife making. It's very difficult to, to get an apprenticeship to do it. Uh, because now a lot of jewelers are studying at university. Uh, they're not, they're not doing apprenticeships anymore. I, I was lucky enough to have someone that teaches me and, and, and that, that, that taught me the basics and, and, and got me off my feet. The same with the, the bladesmithing. There's, there's, there's local guys that are teaching me. But from government point of view, they should, remember, they shut down the teacher training colleges. They yeah. increase minimum apprenticeships, wage. Or the, yeah, apprenticeships don't exist anymore. They don't exist anymore. Um, and, and my idea is with, with my business now in terms of entrepreneurship is to go and help people that, that need it because I, it helped, it saved me when I lost my work. Um, it, it saved me. So I want to be able to give them the tools to be able to do it themselves too. Uh, and I've always had the idea of, you know, the guys that are selling art on the side of the roads, like mm. they, they do beadwork and stuff like that. Someone like that is very apt to do jewelry. They're very good with their fingers. They're very good with their hands. Um, they'd be able to make fine pieces of jewelry because they're used to doing that sort of stuff. So my idea eventually in, in, in a year or two is to, to be able to employ someone, but someone that deserves it. Uh, right. not these, not these guys that are like, Oh, I want a free education and I want a free degree and all that. They can go fuck themselves. I'm looking for someone who's actually trying to get off their feet and do something for themselves in life. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So Tim, that's where, yeah, that's where we will end. Awesome. Thank you for, for, for joining us and, and talking about, um, about your friend who unfortunately passed away and hopefully it's not the end of the story. Uh, in this uh, saga, no, it's definitely not the end of it. Um, I've I've made it a personal mission of mine to see to it that uh, justice gets served for for what she had what she had gone through. Yeah, yeah. And well, it, I, I really hope it is. Happens. All right. So, Tim, uh, where can we find you uh, on on Twitter? Are you on Twitter? Yeah, I'm on Twitter. Um, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. My Twitter handle is t i m underscore m e h. Uh, eight seven, so it's Timmy eighty seven. Uh, my Timmy, and then uh, my uh, that's actually where it came from. University, they all call me Timmy. <laughs> and then uh, Instagram is Tim the Jeweler, and each word is separated by underscore. So Tim the Jeweler, and then on Facebook, uh, my Facebook profile is private because uh, that's a part of my life I want to keep private. Sure. Uh, so, so if you're a Facebook we can go follow you at the Silver Atelier, which is uh, where, you, where you make all your jewelry and knives. And uh, I've gone yeah. and, and had a look at that and some cool stuff there. So go go take a look. A very cool sushi knife I see you selling. Yeah, it's a Yanagiba. Very cool. Very cool. Right. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, that's uh, it for the week. Um, as always, we uh, we want your money. Um <laughs> Yes, we do, actually. <laughs> yeah, you almost forgot. Normally, you're so good at this. Um, so, to start off with, uh, there are several uh, patrons who are already um, helping us to improve the Renegade Report. Um, we are trying to hit a target, uh, and uh, we have certain things we'd like to do. 
there's a whole bunch of content. Uh, there's events being planned already that we are going to be offering to both listeners, but patrons will be um, given first dibs and uh, discounts, uh, if not free freebies where we can. Um, We'd like you to support the podcast. You can donate anything from $1 upwards. Yep. Um, we cap it at $10. Um, if you're prepared to give us 10 bucks a month, we're really grateful. Um, and if you're prepared to give us 1 buck a month, we're really grateful. If you want to give it to us once off, cool, we'll take it. Yeah. Um, I- everything is welcomed. Uh, we are self-supported, self-funded. Um, and an important note, everything we receive goes back into the podcast. We don't make money from it. We're not going to use that money for anything else other than making the podcast better, expand the reach, host events, get uh, some nice merchandise that we give away to people who want it, uh, maybe fly in some guests, yeah. invite them over from overseas. Yeah. So, that's so Jordan Peterson Live, yes. uh, 2019. In studio. Um, yeah. So uh, if you'd like to, you can find us on Patreon. Uh, that uh, you just search for the Renegade Report. Uh, alternatively, there's a link on our Twitter handle, which is at Renegade underscore Report. Uh, you can find Roman at at Roman Kavanagh and myself at Jonathan underscore Wit. Thank you so much for listening. Catch you next time. Cheers. Bye. This is CliffCentral.com.